Blog Talk Radio. Tommy. 20, 24-7, so to say a prayer for her, just make sure she's okay. She's, it's, 
in pain and suffering. I, I got to say, I can't hear Tommy down here. I, I, I don't know if he's on or not. Tommy. He's, yes, he's got to talk into the mic. He's not talking into the mic. I, I'm talking to the phone. Okay. Well, we can hardly hear you, Tommy. <laughs> I'd like to welcome our legends. There uh, we go. Mr. Don Henderson from Jersey Shore slash Sarasota. Mr. Roger Hinder from the baseball champion New Atlanta Braves. Mr. Roy Cummings, Mr. Frank Carroll, and myself. Gentlemen, good evening. It's been, for me, it's been a heck of a week taking care of my girlfriend. Like I said before, she's got four broken ribs, and, and she needs someone to take care of her. So I'm down at 24-7 right now is trying to take care of her. So it's just a... Let's say a prayer for her tonight, so guys. So we sure will. Well, we wish the best for her, but uh, also it's a major, a major sports week in Tampa with what happened with the Bucks on Sunday. Uh, as Roger said just before on the air, a, a great, great story with the Atlanta Braves. Nobody gave them a, a shot in the world midway through the season, and uh, so <clears throat> Roy, how about we start off with baseball and talk a little about the World Series, uh, the Braves, and what do you think? Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, it's amazing when you look back at the Braves. And I look, I think everybody on this uh, panel here, uh, every one of us legends, uh, Roger included, uh, we all kept saying throughout the course of the season, watch out for the Braves. Don't count out the Braves. Don't sleep on the Braves. And, well, here we are. uh, They're world champs and uh, certainly deserved. I mean, not too many teams can go through what this team has been through. This team wasn't over 500, or, well, I should say this. At, what, it was August 2nd, they were below 500. Um, a lot of and, games below uh, the Phillies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, uh, and having lost, uh, you know, some of the players that they've lost through the course of the season, uh, and then to have continued to lose pitchers through the course of the playoffs and to survive it all and win as they have and basically win it on the road, was just remarkable. I mean, it's one of the greatest uh, World Series stories uh, you could have. You, they lost uh, their left fielder. They lost their center fielder. Uh, they they lost uh, arguably their their best starting pitcher in Charlie Morton. Um, it, it was just an amazing uh, season for this team. Uh, continued to lose people, and uh, you know for different reasons, and yet they persevered. So uh, what really. Quietly, one of the best uh, baseball stories, I'd say, in, in our in our era, guys. I mean, uh, what these guys did was exceptional. Um, they they made do with what they had. They made great moves at the trade deadline, bringing in guys like Adam Duvall, uh, obviously uh, Rosario, Eddie Rosario, uh, Jock Peterson. They uh, they were going for it, and good for them for getting it. Roger, you were right um, in the heart of it there in Atlanta, so uh, give us a first-hand look at what they thought about it in Atlanta and what kind of a day it was there. Well, uh, several uh, things that really uh, uh, hit me. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that the Schnitaker family would have wound up winning the World Series either way because the son is uh, a coach on the Astros. But I just think Brian Snicker uh, uh, deserves a lot of credit for keeping them all together. They keep on preaching. You probably saw in the post game and it's been on the air today. They talk about family. And I just hope, as I said earlier uh, before we went on, I just hope that Freddie Freeman stays in Atlanta. Uh, they've got a challenge in front of them because they have a number of free agents. 
And, you know, Roy, we were all talking about the importance of Charlie Morton, and he went down, and then they had to use the bullpen game, which they lost. And then I was afraid Max, when uh, his ankle twisted last night and he got stepped on, all I'm thinking is Dave Jabu, and we're going to lose another pitcher. But, boy, I'll tell you, you got to give him a lot of credit because he really stayed in there. And as John Smoltz was saying, uh, you know, he was giving keys about uh, what he's doing for his success. So it was definitely a team effort. I give the uh, general manager a lot of credit. Uh, and But uh, Brian Snitker, I really think uh, he just uh, uh, he, he deserves a lot more than probably he'll get. Right. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you there uh, because, again, I mean, you, you look at the list of players that these guys lost. You know, you lose Marcelo Zuna. Granted, it was to a suspension. Um, but, you know, you'll also lose um, uh, Drew Smiley at one point. Um, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. You, you're losing your best player. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can make the argument that outside of Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna was – you know, maybe, maybe their best hitter. You could certainly make the argument that overall, Ronald Acuna Jr. was their best player, period. Um, You're right. You know, they, and, you know, so we're not talking about guys who are just, you know, uh, spare parts here. We're talking about keys to that team, and they managed to overcome all of that and uh, continue to win against what clearly was a very, very good Houston Astros team. Uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy they lost. I wasn't a fan, not a fan of the team. You know, like some of the players don't like what what happened a few years back. But you know, let's face it, um, you know that that's an exceptional team there, and uh, we saw a lot of stars emerge in this World Series as well. Ozzy Albies, obviously, if you didn't know who he was already, you do now. Um, you know, Kyle Tucker, but uh, a lot of guys, Watson certainly, um, a lot of guys really emerged. Uh, Ian Anderson as well, um, Max Fried, a lot of guys emerged Max in the World yeah. Series that people haven't heard of necessarily, and. They know him now, hopefully. Roy, one thing I'd jump in with you here is, uh, and go back to what Roger's point was, you got to give Setker a lot of credit. I mean, you're looking at a guy who was with an organization for 40 years. I mean, he was a major league scout. He was a minor league. And he went from being a major league uh, coach to being a, a, a low-class D or A, whatever you, uh, level you want to call it, oh, all the way back. Oh, and then right. he came up and managed two or three other levels on his way back and winds up winning the World Series. I think it's one of the greatest stories of continuity of its guys staying with an organization and then finally coming out on top. The sad part was Dusty just on the other side. This was another chance for Dusty to break his uh, his streak of not being able to win either a championship game or in the championship series, and I felt a little bad for him. I, I thought that, uh, you know, he's 70 years of age and, and – uh, you, you sort of thought he'd go out a little bit better note than a 7 nothing loss last night. Uh, the other point was, uh, going back to Roger's point uh, and yours, Roy, all you have to do is look at the series. Go to the championship series, go to the World Series, and how many different players, and some that weren't even there midway through the season, wound up being getting all the medals. They were the ones that picked up all the junk, and uh, only because of the performance they had all the way through the playoffs of the World Series. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, you're right about Brian Snicker. I mean, boy, how can you not be happy for a guy who spent 40 years devoted right. to one organization, 
you know, it just goes to show you no matter, you know, where you are in life, uh, if you've got a goal, you know, stick with it. Don't give up because here's a guy who finally got his chance to manage and uh, blessed with a, an exceptional team around him and uh, made all the right moves. And uh, lo and behold, despite the injuries, I mean, he continued to make the right moves. And you're right. I mean, at one point, uh, you know, you could have could have argued that Jock Peterson was the MVP of the of the Braves in, the, in these playoffs. You could have made the argument that Ozzie Albies was, that Eddie Rosario was, uh, certainly Freddie Freeman. But, you know, you look at the guys that came in uh, from other organizations at some point, uh, those are the guys who, who really stepped up, uh, Jorge Soler. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing what this team, the chemistry, it's not Don't easy. forget Arno. Arno was spectacular uh, behind the true. plate. Granted. Oh, yes. yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. he came in at the beginning of the year. He's been there since the beginning of the year. But, you know, still he got hurt and uh, had to come back, and, and they needed him as well. And uh, But it's amazing. Uh, you know, the, the, you could tell that the chemistry was – was special with this group, and it, that's not easy to do when you're bringing guys in, you know, in September, uh, and and suddenly you're asking them to be big pieces uh, for that chemistry to be as good with all those guys. But it was, it worked, and uh, you know, again, you have to uh, give credit to Brian Snitker for that as well, because that's usually, as in a lot of cases, that's on the manager when uh, you got all these guys, new guys coming in, making those guys feel comfortable at home, at ease. Uh, and just going out there and playing every day and finding uh, work for everybody to keep them fresh and keep them sharp. Not easy to do, but he did it. Tommy? Well, I just wanted to let you know the Braves have just, uh, as we speak, uh, are returning to Truist Park uh, off the buses. Uh, but one of the things, you know, that, uh, two things. I want to give a lot of credit to the uh, general manager who kept Brian Snicker, okay, when he took over. He very easily could have uh, – uh, got yeah, he was an interim and, manager. Uh, that's right. That's exactly right, Don. And the the other thing uh, is the uh, Roy. It was uh, one of the. Uh, you know, I just lost my thought, uh, but it was one of the points that uh, you were making. And I'll I'll let it. I'll think of it. Uh, this just got my attention well, with all the uh, players. Yeah. Well, let us know what's happening there because obviously that's going to be a great celebration. But uh, you know, you uh, Don, you mentioned. Uh, how you felt for Dusty Baker, and I'm right there with you. I mean, you know, I think at I think at one point, if he if he doesn't, I mean, he's been to the been to the World Series now. He hasn't won it, but I think this guy's a Hall of Fame manager. I mean, he's taken a lot of teams and done a lot of great work with a lot of teams. I mean, and uh, I, I think Dusty Baker is a Hall of Fame caliber manager. He's done it again here with this team. With the Astros, I don't know if he's – I'm not sure what the plan is for him going forward in Houston. Uh, I would hope they would want him back. I would hope he'd like to come back. I, he's such a baseball lifer. Um, I guess that's probably right now the only guy I would like to see the Astros win for uh, is for Dusty Baker because you're right. Uh, that was the thing, one thing that kind of hurt me a little bit over the – I was clearly rooting for the Braves, but um, I would have loved to have seen Dusty Baker win a World Series. I think he's – uh, it's the one thing that's missing uh, from his resume right now and um, uh, of, of one of baseball's greatest personalities of all time, no doubt. Tommy? Yes, Tommy, it's been a good World Series in that when you think of the Braves, they beat the Indians back in 95, and you figure that was a dynasty of baseball back then up there. So that was a, you know, for a baseball fan, that was a great series, but for the revenue of the markets of the of Houston and Atlanta it wasn't like the New York and 
L.A. markets up there. But it was a, it was a good series, well played series up there. At least the war, at least the weather was warm in both cities. So it's good. congratulations goes out to Atlanta. I mean Houston, all the gambles they had, and then and the teams that Houston beat to get into like the Rays and everything else under the sun. But got to give the Braves a lot of credit for for performing well on the field, keeping their personnel, get the get the additions for the for the team. So it's a Big, big victory for Atlanta, big victory for the city of Atlanta to boost everything up. Well, well, well I think what Roy said is true, out. and that is that uh, when you talk about Dusty, uh, he took over a team that was right in the midst of the whole gambling scandal. Uh, he had to really reinstitute a, uh, a direction for the Houston Astros, and he did that. Uh, and did. so I go back to what uh, Roy was saying. I uh, he has just been an outstanding manager with all the clubs he's been with. Just unfortunate. Roger, you're up. Yeah, well, I remembered what I was going to uh, say, and that was about Travis Darno. Uh, we talked about this when we had Chris Wheeler on, uh, oh, what, a month or so ago. And, Roy, uh, you probably uh, remember this. Uh, we talked about it. Travis Darno was in the deal for Roy Holiday from the Phillies to the uh, Blue Jays. And as Chris said, and of course he's been with the, was, has been still involved with the Phillies for so many years, they knew that he had a great bat, but his catching was suspect. And I got to tell you, his catching in the World Series and the uh, LCS was, I just think, tremendous. I mean, he saved uh, a lot of games. And the other point I was going to make is, uh, the Rick Kranitz, the pitching coach, he was let go by the Phillies when they got Kabler and Klenick, uh, the uh, general manager. And here he goes right from the Phillies to the Braves, and look what he's done with the pitching staff, and look at the problems the Phillies have had. I think they're now on their third pitching coach in the, in the five years. Unbelievable. Uh, that's a good point. That's a real good point, Roger. You're right. And, uh, you know, you talk about Travis Darnold. It's not just the Phillies who, uh, you know, who gave up on Travis Darnold. Uh, the, the Braves, the Braves, the Rays here in Tampa didn't re-sign him either when they had a chance. Along with Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, they let Travis Darnold go from last year's team as well. So that's another one that got away here in Tampa. And obviously, look, the Rays, you know, did, did what they were supposed to do this year as well. Uh, didn't have the success in the playoffs, obviously, so they they overcame it. But it's just another idea. It's just another example of how there's a lot of championship players that uh, bounce around at different teams here. And Darnold, you're right. It was always the bat, the bat, the bat, and he, he's certainly proving to be a, a very effective bat um, now that he gets a chance to play regularly. But um, he has improved as a catcher. You, you could definitely see that, just particularly with his pitch framing. I think. Um, and handling yeah. young pitchers, I mean, let's face it, not an easy task um, when you're dealing with guys who have spent, you know, all season down in the minor leagues, when uh, you're, you're dealing with guys who have never started games before and now they're suddenly openers in the World Series. Um, the one thing I was going to say uh, just before we got onto this topic was that I was really happy to see, and I would like to see him go maybe one more inning, but really happy to see uh, Max Fried last night uh, you know, go six innings as a starter, and uh, at a time when they showed a graphic uh, last night about how since 2015, uh, more and more it's it's just uh, just on the average, uh, starting pitchers are out of the game so early 
uh, in the playoffs and just throughout baseball. I mean, obviously mirrors that, but it was nice to see a starting pitcher go six innings. Uh, would have liked to have seen him go seven. But nice to see see a starting pitcher go six innings. I I would love, as uh, I know John Smoltz would, I would love to see uh, teams start to uh, maybe pick up on that and uh, start stretching out these starters a little bit. I would just, you know, I'd just like to see that happen a little more. Well, going back to Darnell for just a second, I, I mean, I can count at least seven important runs that he kept from scoring by making outstanding defensive plays, whether they were pitches up over his head, whether they were pitches at a, on the inside of the plate or the outside. His mobility going both left and right was uh, unbelievable. And now going back to Roger's point, which I have to agree with 100%, uh, you're looking at a general manager that has three left-handed pitchers. I can't think of three left-handed outstanding bullpen pitchers on any team in the last 10 or 15 years. Now, maybe you guys can. I can't. Some and don't one of those, have one, Don. Okay. Yeah, and one of, those, one of those three was a guy that had psychological problems and couldn't finish a game, went back to the inter, you know, out of Major League Baseball and came back and put on a tremendous show in the World Series. So, I'll tell you, it was, there were a lot of stories in this World Series that will be covered over the next couple of days. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and not just stories that are going to be covered, uh, you know, over the coming uh, days and weeks and months, but uh, patterns that you think other teams are going to start to follow. You're right. Uh, don't be afraid to hold on. You know, everybody wants these left-handed pitchers, but they're afraid to put them in late situations, you know, unless it's a, unless it's a matchup thing. But, you know, here you've got uh, – you know, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning going to left-handed pitchers, and it's like, okay, I don't, we don't care if you're throwing righties because, you know, we've got these guys who can get them out, and uh, even though Will Smith might be the, the weakest of those three lefties that they uh, they were throwing out there on a regular basis, he was their closer. And, uh, I was going to say, he was their finisher. Well. Yeah, Roger? exactly. And, uh, yeah. you know, so again, it's, it's another pattern that could be uh, could be followed by other teams. Well, and, and they had some issues during the year. I mean, just like a lot of teams, you know, where uh, was Will Smith going to be the closer? But you know, I think the whole key to this was that everybody pulled together and that the team, the family, gelled at the right time. And, you know, it's just like we've talked about in other sports. Whoever gets hot at the end of the season going into the playoffs uh, can win the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the NBA championship, whatever. And right. uh, with the Braves, it it all it all worked. You know, this is why before we and, switch, and, and, uh, before we switch topics, because we got to do something on the Bucks. I would, no, <laughs> Rod, or, uh, Roy picked it out last week. He said if there was one place that uh, the Bucks may lose, it was going down in New Orleans and playing in the Superdome. Because uh, you pointed out a number of different issues, and most of them came to fruition. The one thing I would like to throw at you, Roy, is that it seemed to me that the Bucks were very, very jittery right from the very beginning of the game, the first quarter. I mean, they were calling timeouts. They had people on the wrong side of the field. Their, their alignment wasn't right. It seemed to me not just the end of the game when, you know, when Brady threw a couple of interceptions, but I thought right from the outset they didn't look like the same team. Yeah, uh, let's face it, guys. Uh, they've faced uh, two good teams this year in the Rams and the Saints, and they've lost to both of them. Um, the Bucks have done a great job of uh, beating up on on the teams they're supposed to beat, 
but uh, so far when they've gotten into a uh, into a game against a team that's uh, considered to possibly be on their level, uh, they've proven to be lesser than that team. And um, they haven't looked good doing it. They've been sloppy, a lot of penalties, uh, turnovers, um, a lack of big plays really on their part. Um, same thing happened uh, – same thing happened here. I mean, where were the big plays defensively? They just they really didn't have them. And um, it just seems like uh, there's a bit of a pattern here right now with the Bucks. And, uh, look, they're fortunate the schedule's in their favor. But um, come playoff time, you could, under, you could see this team getting knocked out in uh, the first or second round. They're, they're, gonna, they're definitely going to need, I think, I think they're going to need uh, to win this division. Uh, so they can get a buy because they're going to need that buy possibly. Roger, I'll let you get in the final question before Rick comes on following Roy. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want, want you know, you, you look at the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, and you you rarely wonder about are they really have the whammy on them? Because what happened? I guess what was it last night or the night before? Henry Ruggs. Uh, their first-round draft pick is driving 156 miles an hour and crashes into a car, kills a 23-year-old woman and her dog, and uh, he's got his girlfriend with him and and a buddy, I guess, and it's at 2.30 in the morning. And this morning on NFL radio, uh, Charlie Weiss had a great point. You know, when you have a player on a Tuesday, or actually, I guess, in a Wednesday morning or Tuesday night, at 2.30 in the morning, out, you know you're going to have nothing but trouble. That's right. Okay, where he's home in, uh, in bed uh, getting ready for the practice. And, uh, it, I mean, he's in jail. He was cut right away. But there's another case, boys, a first-round pick. Uh, you know, ruin his career, and he hasn't even had a full season. Yeah, it's 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 sad in so many ways. I mean, obviously you feel most of the victim in this in this crash, and I'm not talking about Henry Ruggs and his girlfriend. I'm talking about the woman who was who was killed as a result of his uh, you know lack of uh, of smart negligence, just, negligence, negligence. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's unfortunate. But you know, look, the things that are happening to the Raiders are happening to the Raiders, and they're doing them to themselves. John Gruden is out because of what he did. Henry Ruggs is out of football now because of, you know, poor decision-making. And, and I, I don't know Henry Ruggs. I don't know his background. I haven't read scouting reports on him. But, boy, Tony Dungy used to say nothing good is happening outside of your home at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's right. If you're right. outside of your home at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, and you're an NFL football player during the season, you're probably in some kind of trouble. Uh, or you're looking Roy, before we go to Rick, uh, just uh, is there one final thing or something that we did not touch on that you would like to touch, touch on before we change over to hockey? Hey, Roy, right, right. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. I was just talking about Henry Ruggs and, and how, uh, again, I, look, I, I would think Mike Mayock is a little bit different than John Gruden, that he looks a character. Um, I'm not so sure that that was looked at very, very uh, closely when Henry Ruggs was selected by the Raiders and, because, again, I, I know most NFL players are just not going to be in that situation. They're not going to put themselves in that situation. But Henry Ruggs did, and to me it speaks to the character of the man. And uh, it's unfortunate. It's, it's just horribly unfortunate. A life was lost here, and it uh, looks like a career may be lost as well. So 
just a, a horrible situation, very unfortunate. Roy, hey, thanks Roy, for one. That's the first you. half hour, another great half hour hey, with Bert, you as always. Excuse me, Don. Excuse me, Don. Excuse me, Don. Hey, Roy, why don't you hang on for a couple minutes here? A good friend, a good friend of ours, Rick Peckham, is coming on. We can talk about hockey two ways. You haven't talked to Rick in a while. It's going to be good to have him. If you want to stay on board for a little bit, talk to Rick. It'd be great. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Oh, that's I'll great. Give a, I'll give it a few minutes here, yeah. All right, Tom, we said Rick was ready, so you may as well introduce him, and we'll keep right in here with Roy, and we can keep the hockey going. I'd like to introduce the Hall of Fame announcer. He started his career back in the old Kent State days in the Cleveland area. Good friend of mine, good friend of the program, and also good friend of Mr. Roy Cummings. Always a pleasure to walk in with this gentleman on the air, got to get him on the golf course, Mr. Rick Peckham. Rick, good evening, and I remember the old, I, I, I think the game, the other, I think the other game when the Lightning played at home, it reminded me of the old Cleveland Barons. <laughs> you were terrible hockey. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's, uh, those were the days, that's for sure, Tommy. Thanks for the welcome, great to be on with you and Roy and, and everybody on the crew here. But, uh, yeah, they're off and running this year, and it seems like we just turned things around from celebrating a Stanley Cup in July, and bang, here comes the season, and uh, now they're, uh, you know, almost at 10 games in. Rick, one of the surprising things, maybe Roy would comment on this, too, which you look at the two teams, Carolina and Florida, who would have thought 10 years ago (laughs) those two cities would be dominating in the National Hockey League? Yeah, it's been a real turnaround there with uh, with those teams. I think uh, Carolina, um, I think it's more Rod Brindamore than anything else. I, I think they've got a very talented team, no question about it. But you look at how they've completely revamped their goaltending from a surprisingly good and uh, a very strong season last year. And here they are, 8-0, going into tonight's game with Chicago in a new season. And right. uh, I think it, it, you can trace it all back to, to Brindamore. As far as the Panthers are concerned, they've been kind of building to this. And what Dale Talon started, I think Bill Zito has uh, has uh, brought them to this point. I think Joel Quenville, when he was uh, behind the bench there, did a, a nice job with them and, and certainly got them organized. And I think that's probably the best thing they needed was organization of all the, the talent that they had to get go, pointed in the right direction. Roy, before you jump out for dinner, jump on here. Yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'm going to throw a quick question to Rick. Rick, great to hear from you again. And uh, uh, so, I wa- what I want to ask is, you know, obviously the Lightning are the team to, to, ca- to catch here in the uh, in their in their division and in their conference. Obviously, uh, in terms of winning the Stanley Cup, a lot of people had Florida as a team that could do that. But uh, and I'll leave you guys with this question for Rick. Uh, how do you think losing Joel Quenville affects Florida going forward? I mean, very much like Carolina, extremely talented hockey team there. Uh, everybody's healthy at this point. They seem to have all the pieces, but when you don't have that coach now that's uh, been there and done it uh, a couple of times, how do you think that affects uh, Florida going forward in this race against uh, a big development as far as they're concerned? Uh, you get off to such a great start, and initially it may not be – that obvious, um, you know, that oh, boy, they're really going to miss Joel Quenville. Well, they will over time through the course of the season. There's ups and downs. How do you handle those situations? Andrew Burnett has is, is not uh, gone through any of that as the head coach, obviously. 
what they end up doing with that position uh, is, is going to be very interesting because, you know, there's going to be some changes in approach. There's going to be some changes in, in how they handle the tough moments through the season. Uh, no question. They've got the elements in terms of skill and toughness. They're getting fantastic goaltending. Bobrovsky's really bounced back and they're healthy. Ekblad's back, but, but that, uh, that leadership, who's guiding the ship, um, We've seen that as kind of a quietly important element of the Lightning success is that uh, strength at the top from Vinick to Iserman to uh, Brisebois and John Cooper's there the whole time, right? Um, that's something that doesn't show up in the standings, but it's very difficult to overcome huh. when uh, all of a sudden it's, it's missing. Roger? I think you're absolutely right. Hey, guys, thanks for having Go me. Go ahead, Roy. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you letting Take me be care, a part Roy. of it. Uh, great to hear from you again. Roy, have a great week. Thank you so much. All right, guys, much. thanks for having me as always. My Rick, pleasure, take care. Ray. We'll see you soon. Yep, take you care. You too. Hey, Rick, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether you've gotten to see the Flyers at all, but uh, they seem to have turned it around. They got off to a great start last year. Defense was the problem. Uh, and goaltending, and uh, it seems like that they've turned it around. Uh, and I just wonder whether, you know, you've got to see any of their action yet at all. No, I haven't. But uh, certainly the signs look very encouraging in terms of the fact that uh, they've rebuilt that defense, and I think they're more solid from a defensive standpoint. Um, certainly Gostas Bear was flashy in the time that he was there most of the time, but uh, the defensive deficiencies with him and maybe some other guys uh, in that crew over time kind of overshadowed, uh, you know, what they were able to do offensively. But uh, I think rebuilding that defense uh, has certainly been a, a big plus for them. And I think that uh, Carter Hart was certainly able to uh, get the kind of uh, work of the off season to get back to the level that he was in his outstanding rookie year. And that's going to be what they're going to build on. And certainly the guys like Konechny and, and Faraby and, and, and all those guys that, uh, you know, the, the young kids that are starting to really mature offensively. Uh, it's a nice blend they've got going there in a very, very tough division. Rick, you're uh... A little bit older like we are. We've been around this National Hockey League of sports for a long period of time. Uh, the negative, first really negative thing about the National Hockey League, are they, how do you like the way they address the problem? How do you like the way they resolve the problem? And where do we go from here? Well, it's, it's just such a delicate situation, a very, very sad situation, shocking in so many ways that, uh, you know, as somebody who was affiliated with the Lightning, thinking back to 2010 when the Blackhawks were on that stirring run to their first of three Stanley Cups. And, you know, they'd had a, a, a significant amount of upheaval in bringing Quenville as, in as a coach and, you know, Dale Talon, um, you know, he had stepped aside and now Stan Bowman's running things. And, and all of a sudden things were clicking. And... Um, you know, just the way that whole thing developed. And I'm sure I'm like everybody else. You see, how could this even happen? And it's just years ago that it did happen. And yes. And to have uh, young Kyle beach. Now he's 31 years old, but at the time 
you know, he's he's trying to realize a dream. He's only up with the team because he's one of the the extra players for their playoff run, and he figures I got to do everything I'm asked to do here, make an impression, and maybe I'll have a chance next year at training camp. And he's just faced with that kind of a situation, and and just blindsided by uh, the assaults that he that uh, happened to him. I don't know. I mean, it's just opened something that uh, the league has addressed and the Players Association is addressing, that they have to have some sort of a plan in place and devices where if that ever happens to players and, uh, you know, a leadership position that the that the, the sport of, of hockey at the NHL level has to take. Uh, Rick, do you I think don't know they adjudicated it properly? Uh I think so under the circumstances, just because it was such a shock to everybody involved, I think it boils down to who knew what when, and I don't know that we're all going to know the answers to that. So um, let's just hope that, you know, rather than go from a Sheldon Kennedy situation from years ago and then have something else happen like it did to Kyle Beach, you know, decades later, let's let's hope that something is in place where this just never happens again, and that players never are put in that kind of a situation, or or employees at any level. Roger. Yeah, I agree with that, Rick. Uh, totally, and uh, you know, a lot of things going on in that uh, Washington Redskins uh, investigation that uh, you know we haven't heard much about from the National Football League. But uh, I had mentioned this earlier. Uh, I, I saw the uh, uh, Atlanta Predators, uh, you know, which are a minor league team, play the uh, farm team for uh, the uh, Lightning on Friday night. And I was talking to uh, the president of the uh, Gladiators, Jerry James, and he's got an extensive uh, background in sports management. Uh, Astros, uh, one of them, and the Giants, San Francisco Giants. But he was talking to me about he's working with the governor about uh, bringing at least an American Hockey League team back to Atlanta. And I, I was at uh, both the Flames and the Thrashers games and opening night for both of them. And, you know, I just think that the, the league is missing the boat by not having a team back in Atlanta. And, and hopefully this may be the beginning of returning uh, at the NHL. Because they, they, it wasn't fan base, it wasn't uh, media or anything like that. That was strictly like a political deal, you know, where the league got, I think, like $8 million to have the team go to Winnipeg, and then the owners, you know, got a lot of money. So uh, what do you think? Do you, you think it's time for the NHL to be back in Atlanta? Well, I think for a balance standpoint, uh, it would be good. Uh, in terms of helping out some of the Southern teams with scheduling and things like that. Uh, I know personally uh, from the lightning standpoint, we really missed uh, not having Atlanta in the division where you had a close opponent that, uh, you know, you didn't have to travel halfway across the country to play. Uh, I think it comes down to what's the interest at the corporate level. And it sounds cold, uh, and I'm caring to think about it that way. But, you know, the, as we know, since the Thrashers left for Winnipeg, um, you know, the money in this sport has just grown exponentially as it has in all uh, major league sports. But you've got to have sure. that, that type of interest 
to be able to attract the attention that's going to get a franchise there. And, you know, they were, I want to say, kind of underfunded a little bit in in the initial stage with the Thrashers, and that certainly contributed to their problems. Now, have things changed? Is there an appetite for hockey there? I guess that's what we have to answer if, if the league's ever going to return to it. Rick, I think you made a key point there when you talked about Atlanta and the traveling. Uh, you know, we're all being from the Philadelphia area, well, you know, the Flyers would travel up to Newark, the Devils, they played out of the Islanders, they played the Rangers, uh, they played Pittsburgh. I mean, you had a distinct, in my view, they had a distinct advantage in the National Hockey League if you were one of those teams in that area because compared to Edmonton, uh, you know, what's the closest team to playing in Edmonton? I mean, it's a long trip. Yeah, and what was interesting was um, when the – Thrashers were relocated to Winnipeg. It was after the schedule came out and, you know, the divisions were set. They didn't have time to uh, rearrange anything. So Winnipeg played out of the Southeast division. The Lightning had to go up there three times uh, up to Winnipeg. So they really felt uh, the sting of not having Atlanta uh, just an hour and a half flight away. Tommy. He's gone. Oh, Tommy's gone. All right. <laughs> uh, any surprises so far? Now, you know, we're so early into the season. Uh, but any surprises to you with the early going as to where they are? Well, um, I'm not really surprised that, you know, like any Lightning fan, you watch a team play and it's ups and downs and you're kind of frustrated a little bit of the downs. But one thing I noticed league-wide was, the, the final four teams from the playoffs who went into July and played, um, you know, and then had to turn around two and a half months later and start training camp. And three months later, bang, here's a season. And obviously the lightning are one of those teams that got off to a slow start. Vegas has started slow. The Islanders started slow, straightened things out. They still got some things to work out, obviously with their team. And of course, and they're trying to get into the new but, building. They have, they have play at home. Yeah, and they've got that obstacle of playing something like 11 road games to start the year. But um, when you think about the fact that the Lightning won two Stanley Cups in the span of about nine months, or a little more than nine months, that's ridiculous. So the old adage of the Stanley Cup winner, boy, they've played a lot of hockey. And that certainly applied to Pittsburgh when they won back-to-back. Well, here's the Lightning with two Cups. And, yeah, there was a limited regular season, but the grind of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Ready? we know, guys, as hockey fans, it's unprecedented. And it's going Absolutely. to take time to get it all put together, especially with some new personnel. Um, what I do like about the team is uh, an addition like Pierre-Edouard Bellemar, who, Belmar, who uh, I think is really going to be a nice addition to this team. Some of the surprises, you know, Buffalo's off to a good start. Um, you know, Detroit, a lot of the teams that really missed by a mile in the playoffs last year, Jersey's another one, um, off to a better start, which I think is going to make it tougher for teams like the Lightning over the long haul. But I think that teams like the Lightning, like Vegas, um, I think the cream's going to rise to the top as, as we get along here. Rick, thanks a lot for your time. Great segment, and uh, we'll get you on soon again. And the National Hockey League just getting started for this year. Bobby Taylor waiting in the wings to follow you. So thank you so much. We'll have you on soon again. 
Great. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Rick, thank you. Have a great uh, Thanks, week. Rick. Take care of yourself. Thank you. All right. The Chief is standing by, and uh, we've been talking hockey the last 15 minutes, so we'll continue there. And uh, I know one of the things that, that Bobby talked about uh, year, over the years, we've had him on the show a number of times, and he talked about to his travel, that uh, travel that you get involved with in the National Hockey League, especially you're out in the West. And uh, But, Bobby, uh, the Lightning are off to a sort of – they start a little bit of a slow start, but then coming on, give us a couple of thoughts. Yeah, you know what? One of the things, Don, is, is that it, I think it's a more of a mental thing for them right now because when you take a look at the um, – they play spots in every game really, really right. well. they played a couple of games really, really well. Then they've looked like, you're kidding me. This is a team that won two Stanley Cups. And I think it's just a matter, you know, and I, and I just heard the tail end of your conversation with Frick, and he's right. They, you know, 283 days, or, you know, uh, they won two cups. That's incredible. And, and, and the playoffs, having gone through them when I was with Philly, they're really a grind. It's, it's a more of a mental thing than anything. I mean, it's physically, yes, because you play every second day, you travel and whatnot. But the mental part of it, because your, your, your mistakes are magnified, your your any any kind of a of a foul up or miss up, it's just it could mean the difference between being ahead in the series or behind in a series or even winning a series, and everything is predicated on what could be 28 games to win the Stanley Cup, and that's why I think you know everybody talks about how it's the toughest trophy to win. Not only do you have to play a lot of games, but the mental pressure on it is game after game after game after game. And it's a game that can really, really change in a hurry. So uh, I, one of the things that has amazed me about this hockey team is the fact that that's what's happened. By the horns for 283 days or whatever the case may be, let's put it this way, just under 300. And they won two cups. There's got to be a big note in the history books for both these, these two tra- cup championships they won. Roger, you're up. Well, you know, uh, Bobby, I, I tell you, it was an interesting uh, story. Uh, the uh, the ghost returned to uh, face the Flyers uh, last night, and you can attest to this uh, as well as anybody. Uh, he said it's a tough pit place to play, but the fans love you, <laughs> and I think that mm-hmm. sums up Flyers fans pretty well. What do you think? Oh, hundred percent. You know. I think our teams of the 70s is what, what made them so popular in the three of us, including Don. And, he, and, and Bobby, you were up there, too, at that time. Uh, but for, the, for me, it's like if you, if you play your part, of, and, and, and you know what, you can't, you, you can't really hide that. If you play your heart on it, but it's not good enough and you lose. You know, uh, yeah, they're upset a little bit. They, they want to win, I have no question. But if you're playing as hard as you can, you know, they'll accept that. But if you don't and lose, you're the biggest bum walking the face of the earth. And, right. and, and mm-hmm. for me, yeah, and, and that's what I think made us such a popular team that was in the 70s was the fact that we worked really hard. We were so-called no superstars, which, but by the way, we, you know, we, we sent a few people to the Hall of Fame off of that team. And for me, it was like, And justifiably yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> that's you know right. Bob? One of, the, one of the things that I can always – we changed the idea because we were a tough team. And, you know, and Mr. Snyder, 
God rest oh. his soul, said that, you know, when we got beat up by St. Louis in that one uh, series, uh, you know, we just got run out of the rink, basically. He said, that'll never happen to my team again. And that's what was the, the birth of the Broad Street Bullies. And you know what? We didn't take any. We never asked any quarter, and we never took any quarter. You know what? Hockey is a tough game. It's a t- made by, played by tough players. And nobody, I've never heard a player ever make an excuse about being too tough. Or, oh, boy, I can't. You know, we're playing three games in four nights. Or, oh, man, I'm I'm traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast or vice versa and have to play within eight hours, you know. I've never heard a player ever mention that. Never. You know, and I think this is what the thing I think would really endeared them, endeared teams, or, or at least our team anyway to Philly, was that fact that we didn't ask a quarter, we never gave a quarter. Just like the, that steel town or that blue-collar town, as they say, was like that as a, as a whole. Well, I mean, one of the things, Scotty was on with us for about 20 minutes last week, uh, sort of previewing uh, some of the teams and what he thought. And he said something I felt was really amazing, and that was that he thought that the Lightning had 10, not one, not two, 10 of the best players in the National Hockey League. They were they were that deep with talented players. you agree with that? Well, maybe eight. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You know, there's, there's certain things, and, and you guys have watched this game long enough, and you've got to have that stud between the pipes. You have to have that goalie. We had it in Bernie. Uh, Boston, your years had it with Jerry Cheevers. You know, uh, uh, Billy, the Islanders had a great goaltender too. You know, Billy Smith. I mean, everybody doesn't think so, but boy, you try to when the game was on the line. That's one of the guys I'd like to have in the net, Billy Smith. So your goaltender can better not get to too close to the net. He'll hit the, get that stick right <laughs> in your head. <laughs> yeah, but it was saved to a point too, Don. <laughs> but no, you know, every every team that's won multiple Stanley Cups. It was the goaltender. And that's the one thing about our hockey club. This kid is so good. And I have the privilege of watching him game in, game out. And most people only get to see him maybe once, twice, at the most, four times a year. And he is unbelievable how good he is. And he's a great kid, and he just works and works and works and works. I always say he's a throwback to the old days. The only difference was that he had better equipment, and he's a lot bigger. That's right. Get more money. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. Chief, Chief, how you doing tonight, Chief? This is Tommy G. How you doing, Chief? Hey, Tommy's Tommy. back. Yeah, he's back. I do some stuff around here. But, Chief, I'll say one thing. Only the Lord says more than Bernie Perron. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't prove that. Yeah, yes, I can. <laughs> I know. But, you know, this club here has been amazing. I mean, I've never been around a team in all the years that was so good at self-analyzing as this Tampa Bay Lightning team. And, you know, we've got a couple of new guys in this year, and I'm sure that's going to just carry over to them. But uh, up until this year, they were a team that always said, you know what, we didn't do this, we didn't do that. We didn't say, oh, the rest were bad. You know, oh, we had, you know, the ice was terrible. We no excuses. It was always their finger was always pointed towards themselves, and that was the one thing that really impressed me about this club over the last few years is that they were that way. Even even this year, we got new guys, but even this year, they say, "Oh yeah, okay, we're on a three-game winning streak," but 
we're hanging our goalie out to dry. We've got to be a lot better. It's always we have to be better, and I think that's what was the driving force behind him to win those two Stanley Cups back-to-back. Roger? Well, you know, Bobby, I love to go back in history. I just had to uh, move a little bit. The, um, going back to those days, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He says, I just wish it was like it was years ago. I said, well, maybe we all do, but it's, the world's different today. But, you know, what was it like during that period that uh, you alluded to back in the 70s? I had that 74, 75 yearbook, and we've talked about it. Tommy's talked about it, Don, Frank. We know where we were when you won the Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a special time in the city. And I was telling people today, they were asking me what they what I thought it's going to be like with the Braves parade on uh uh, on, on Friday in Atlanta, and I, I related to the Flyers' first parade back in that se- after that '74 win. <laughs> what was what's it, what was it like? I mean, that that set like the tone for parades in the future, didn't it? It really is. I, I, I believe he's. Were you mentioning that about the parade? This is a fun, yeah, this is a funny thing about that parade. Is that you know, obviously, when you win the championship like we did, and, of course, that team back then, thank goodness there was no cell phones. Uh, yeah. You know, we partied like, like crazy for three and four days. I don't even know how many guys got even an hour of sleep. But when we went to the parade, we all met at the Spectrum and down in the, in the uh, owner's lounge. And, uh, you know, they were getting the cars all set up, and we're all not feeling really good or really chipper. But we are talking to each other and going, yeah, well, how many people do you think will come out to this parade? She says, you know, we, you know, we're not sure exactly. I know we had our great 17,007 fans, you know, but, you know, I thought we had a very small portion of, of, the, of the public in Philadelphia. We thought that at that point. And then we said, well, we 17,007, everybody brings a friend. Maybe we'll get 40,000 people out to the parade. Don, what was it, a million people, two million people that first year? Yeah. There was, there you, was couldn't count, you couldn't count how many there were, Bobby. Yeah, there was more people. They told us there was more people at that parade than it was for Victory Day after the Second World War. And we're going, yeah. we've got to be But, that. Bobby, I think we one were, of the things that caused that is if you look at the perimeter of Philadelphia, you not only had Philadelphia – but you had everything from Princeton, New Jersey, to Wilmington, Delaware. You know, they were Flyer fans. It wasn't just a matter of who. And so when you talk, they came from everywhere. They, and that was the whole thing. They came from everywhere around the Delaware Valley. Yeah, right. you know what? You're right. I, yeah, you're right. That tri-state area, you're exactly right. We were huge. There was no Washington Capitals then, you know. So, And the closest team outside of the Rangers uh, was uh, Pittsburgh, which was a long time. You know, the Devils came. Yeah, they, I, I guess they were. They, I thought. I don't know if they were there because remember that franchise moved to Colorado, then Colorado moved back to New Jersey, and then Colorado got an expansion team. I mean, we can go through the semantics of all that, but there wasn't a whole lot of people in that geographic area that had a hockey team to really jump up and down for. And right. you're right. I forgot about. It. I I really that slipped my mind. I apologize for that. Well, I'll the tell other you, thing Bobby, you, you I, talked I, about a number of times I, when you rolled with us, Bobby, and also Scotty talked about it a lot last week. 
defensemen, how tough it is to develop really defensemen. I mean, you, you fellows sound like it's the toughest job in hockey is to make sure you got the right kind of defenseman. You know what, Don? It, it's, I've always said, you know, scoring goals puts people in the stands playing defense wins you Stanley Cups or right. wins you trophies, I should say. You know, and that's right. true probably with every team, you know. And um, our guys, the rules were a little different back there. You know, it's not a touchy-feely game back then as it is kind of now. And, uh, you know, if, if I can remember one game we were playing in, in Colorado against the uh, Rockies, they were called then, the Colorado Rockies. And it was one of the few games that I got to play. And I used to always wait for – Eddie Van Ant and, and Joe Watson, you know, because we'd all go for a beer after. And we win 2-1, I think. And, and anyway, that was when Simone Olay, one of our best teams players, had got traded from or picked up in the expansion draft, rather, by Colorado. Anyway, it's near the end of the game. There's a one-goal game, and I remember Eddie telling me, he says, we're, he said, uh, Freddie said, okay, Van Ant and DuPont over the boards. Well, Joe always, or Eddie always played with Jimmy Watson. DuPont always played with Joe Watson. So all of a sudden, they're putting those two guys out. And he says, I don't want anybody in front of the net. And everybody goes, okay, okay, sure. He grabbed both of them and pulled them back and said, I don't want anybody in front of the net. <laughs> and he off they go. And <laughs> the interesting thing about it is, you know how everybody says you got to jam the net and deflect it in that? They were so afraid of going against the stick work of Eddie and Moose that guys were trying to tip the puck in from shots from the point from the dot on the face-off circle or, or even the hash marks. That's how – and it was like, mm-hmm. you've got to be kidding me. I, I was kind of joking with them after. I said, you guys never had any confidence in me? <laughs> okay, I probably had about three shots. He said it was really funny. But the bad part of it was is that – I'm waiting for Eddie, and he is taking forever to come out. I can't believe it because he's a guy that I think could jump around in the shower and only five sprays hit him. That's how fast he was. <laughs> and, uh, and he's not. And he was not a big. He was not a little guy. But for me, it was like, where? What happened? And he just comes up, and I'm waiting for him. I said, What's wrong? What are you doing? He says, I'm done. I am absolutely done. And I said, Why? What's why? What's upset? What we just won? He says, No. He said, I just cut Craig Patrick. He said, that's like cutting Bambi in the forest. I can't do this anymore. And I guess he had, you know, when he was keeping people away from me, he caught Craig over the eye uh, for about seven or eight stitches. And But you see, that's the game back then was a little bit different than it is now. We weren't so touchy-feely <laughs> back then. But, but he, he, he was so upset that he cut Craig Patrick. And, I, and years after when Craig had been hired by the Edmonton Oilers as a consultant or something, this was after his, his great run in Pittsburgh and all that. I told him that story. And he goes, he looked at me and says, well, I'm glad you told me that because I thought he really hated me. We both started to laugh. I said, no, Craig, this is what the game was about back then. It is totally, totally different now. Well, you know, well, I got to tell you, fellows, I just got an email from an old friend of all of you fellows, Lou Scheinfeld. 
I got it today. Great guy. Lou is an awesome man. Oh, yeah. Well, he's got a book uh, that's coming out. You can order it now. And, of course, it uh, because he runs the Museum of Sports in Philadelphia, getting that underway. But you're going to love this, Chief. How the Spectrum and the Flyers succeeded against all odds. And that's the, uh, that's the book. So it's coming oh, out. that's going to be great. i gotta, I, I got to get it. I'll tell you what. I, it would be interesting. I should lose the guy that hired me after I was playing uh, for Prism. Guys, you remember Prism. Oh, yeah, and, Prism, um, yeah. I did all the 76er games on Prism. Exactly. That's right. And, Don, I, I remember uh, we, I'd gotten Eddie Van Epp and I had gotten tra- and traded to uh, Pittsburgh. And I was coming back that year, and I was all fed up with it because they were trying to run me around. We didn't have any players association back there, so you couldn't really do this craft that they do with now. You you had to do your own contract, or if you had an agent and you trusted them, you have it. But anyway, so I'm coming back, and I said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. So Clarky, Bobby Clark actually says, what, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, he said, you ever thought of going into TV? Because, you know, you've been the biggest bullshit around our locker room. You could probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, last question, because I know you got to go, and, and we're, we're running out of time in this segment. But you made that transition. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you made that transition two years ago now, you don't travel anymore. How about, how about your new role? Do you like it better? Nah, I still like to get out on the road and be with the team and everything. But the only thing about it, Don, and I quote that uh, infamous Steve Coates, I sound a lot taller on radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chief, thank you very, very much. As always, we hope you'll join us as the season unfolds. And uh, let's hope that the Lightning are good enough to, uh, you know, make another run at it just like they did. But the three in a row would be uh, almost a miracle. But uh, good luck, and, and thank you very much for being with us. All right, always great, Bobby. I always have fun. Always have fun, guys. Thanks. Take care. Thank you, you too. You're great. Take care. Thanks, Mike Zibzak is up next, and he was – Bobby was just alluding to the uh, Washington Capitals. They weren't there then. <laughs> when the Flyers were winning the Stanley Cups. But uh, Mike has a, has a hand on what's going on in Washington, what's going on in Baltimore, what's going on in the world of soccer. So uh, pick a direction, Mike, and go to it. Well, um, I've been talking a lot about the Washington and the football team and stuff. I actually want to start with soccer because we are down to decision day in MLS. And um, for – Atlanta United, uh, where Roger is, the Philadelphia Union, uh, where a lot of us uh, hail from. Uh, there's still some stuff to play for. Both uh, The Union are already in the playoffs, but a win uh, this week and in, in Yankee Stadium against NYCFC, and they'll clinch the number two spot, and they'll have a home field advantage all the way up until the Eastern Conference Finals should they make it. So this is the fourth season in a row under John Curtin that the Philadelphia Union have clinched a playoff spot, so of course that's a franchise record. But they'll be looking for a slightly better playoff run than they had last year when they they had the uh, top seed in the East and the top seed overall, but lost their first playoff game to uh, 
uh, New England Revolution, who this year came out and set a points record in MLS. They're on 73 points, which is a new record right now with still a game to play. Roger, as for you, and Atlanta United, they're uh, in action tonight up in Harrison against New York Red uh, They're still ha- stuck in the seventh seat uh, spot. So it's possible, actually, that if the Union, if the uh, Red Bull, if Atlanta United win and the Union lose this weekend, we could have uh, the Philadelphia Union hosting Atlanta United in the first round of the playoffs. Roger. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, uh, Mike. And I know the uh, the the United won or had a, a tie the other night, one-one. Uh, and I guess, and right now it's zero-zero. Uh, you know, up in Harrison, uh, New Jersey. Uh, but I, I will I will also say this, Mike. The the United have really gotten a lot of um, publicity, so to speak, uh, because of the Braves winning the World Series. Because uh, what it's been like a postscript because the Falcons, you know, they lost the, the uh, Super Bowl, and that was their fault. It was ridiculous. And then the Braves hadn't uh, won since 95, and they used the uh, United. They, well, you know, I know, but we had a United, uh, uh, you know, win, okay, uh, uh, championship win. So, anyway, that's been good for the United. But how do you think the MLS playoffs will work out? I mean, you mentioned about the union uh, getting knocked off early last year. Uh, do you think that they are in a position this year to go further in the playoffs? I always think that the that the union are in a position to go further in the playoffs. It's a matter of can they get that monkey off their back and finally win the big game, right? The knock on Jim Curtin, despite all the regular season success, despite the development of the young players, uh, setting records for most points, having a um, having the record that he does as manager, the knock on him has always been that he's not been able to win trophies, right? They picked up the supporter shield last year, but that's more of a regular season thing. That's just giving them credit for what how many games they've won in the regular season. He still needs to go in and win this big game. Uh, in four playoff appearances, they've only won once. So he's got to have to get it together. I think if he doesn't win, if they have another early exit uh, from a high seed with home uh, field advantage, I think there's going to be some questions asked about whether or not Jim Curtin can take a team far enough, whether or not they have to bring in somebody else with some new ideas who might be able to win some of these games. He's gotten them to a number of finals. He's gotten them into the playoffs, but it's still that knock, that monkey on the back, this 600-pound gorilla in the room that when it comes down to it, when they're on national TV, when the lights are brightest, they just can't seem to get it together. So I think if they My guys, get... I just got to ask that question from another direction because we just finished with the World Series and uh, I, we have not seen the early ratings as yet. But the biggest story was during the course of the World Series, you're talking about Houston and you're talking about Atlanta. And are those two teams going to attract a national audience large enough to really, uh, you know, give Fox a jolt? Now, in, in MLS, you know, what cities do they? What cities do you have to have win in order to create major stability from a viewer standpoint? I think the casual viewer is going to be most in tune with 
the big market clubs. The problem that the MLS is facing right now is there's a likelihood that they won't have the L.A. team in the playoffs. All now, right. that said, the Seattle Sounders have always moved the needle. They're a very popular team. They have a really, really, really huge following up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Philly should get some viewers, uh, as will New England Revolution, who have Boston and the surrounding areas, and, of course, the two big New York City teams, right? But a lot of the fans – We'll look at other teams that we're familiar with and players that we're familiar with. Atlanta United is always going to be a big draw because we're familiar with what they did a couple of years ago in their run to the finals. So there's still that sort of brand recognition with them. Um, it's, Kansas City may not be the biggest media market, but there's a lot of recognition amongst uh, even casual MLS fans for the players and the team. So if they're in the playoffs and they're successful, they have not, they have a couple of uh, young players who are on the U.S. men's national team. They could uh, get eyes on it as well. Dobby, so, you're up, Dobby. Go on. It's going well, again. Hey, Mike, uh, Don, I, 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 and uh, Frank, uh, I wanted to give you a couple, a little bit of information uh, on the uh, ratings. Um, uh, the Mad Dog. Chris Russo said that Sunday night the uh, ratings were 12 million, and it was the same for NBC with the NFL game. And then I just saw on the Hollywood Observer um, that uh, just came out today uh, that Fox's coverage of uh, the last night's game uh, was smaller than every uh, pandemic series. However, I'm sorry, the, over the series. However, the World Series. With, with last night's game, had the biggest audience of the six games played and posted substantial uh, increases over last year's uh, pandemic altered series. But well, that's good to hear. Yeah, prior to that, uh, the it was the smallest uh, since well they started taking the uh, this uh, the uh, the survey back in the early seventies. I thought because so of the score, they'd have a tough time. Yeah, because they had 13, almost 14 million last night, Don. Yeah, and uh, that, that's very interesting because you got to really be a to stay for that that game after it got to be five nothing. Uh, to me, would be a little difficult for a non-major baseball fan. So I'm glad to hear that they were able to sustain the audience for a longer period of time. And and uh, that well, I got to say, that really surprises me a little bit. Well, the thing that gets me, fellas, is that people complain about the length of these games and starting at 8.15, 8.20, whatever the case might be. But look at the commercials that are put in between innings, every break, far exceeds in time what the regular season, when your local uh, uh, TV does it, and you don't have, you're not looking at a national audience. And even during a national audience. You know, the the breaks are much shorter than they are during the uh, World Series. Well, you figure that uh, they had to have a total in Atlanta and in Houston. Uh, you know, every set had to be on the game. There's no question about that. So I'm happy to hear that, that it branched out. And, uh, Mike, would you say the same thing for MLS, that uh, it's going to get more and more popular and, and it's going to spread all across the country just as – rather than just as selected areas like Seattle and L.A. and Philadelphia and things of that nature? 
even New York. It, 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 steadily, it, it is steadily getting more popular. It's steadily getting more viewers. When you look at how the franchisees have gone up over the, just even over the last five years, seven years, um, the way that the new teams are competing in the media markets that they're going into, it's definitely proof. You know, we talked a number of times on this show about the popularity of of Atlanta United and how they came into the league and basically set a benchmark for how teams can flourish. Even as relatively unsuccessful, and they have been to a certain extent, missing the playoffs in two or three years, Inter-Miami has at least a name recognition through David Beckham and some of their players to still be a popular team. So the sport's growing. I think what's become different about it over, say, the last five or seven years is that they're no longer, MLS is no longer as reliant on the big, aging, European, familiar stars. You know, we're not looking for Lionel Messi or anybody to come over and save it anymore. What they're doing is a better job of scouting and developing young talent, so we're more excited to see these guys who might make it onto the U.S. national team's roster and be able to say, like, I saw them when they were playing with Sporting Kansas City or the Philadelphia Union or Orlando City. So they've gone a little bit younger, and as a whole, that's been better for the league because it's elevated the level of um, play. Roger, anything there well, before know, we switch over to football and, yeah, and uh, yeah. hockey yeah, and so forth in Washington? Uh, what do you got? Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, Mike, I was just thinking about it uh, because uh, you're too young, but uh, Frank and Tommy and Don and I, well, maybe not Tommy. No, uh, he may. Uh, I can remember when uh, the uh, Philadelphia had a, uh, a big so- – well, a couple of soccer teams, uh, semi-pro Ukrainian nationals, the Uriks. But then there was the professional league when Pele was playing – and, I mean, I think they played at Temple Stadium, and CBS was uh, televising a game of the week. And this has to go back to, uh, what, 67, Don? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's got to be, yeah, 67, 68. So I'm thinking, you know, there was a, a demand uh, back even in the mid to late 60s, Mike, because well, yeah, but Roger CBS, Pele was the Pele was the was the draw, wasn't it? So in soccer, everybody wanted to see Pele. Yeah, and, and I was, think that was where MLS has tried to differentiate itself from the NASL insofar as that they, they it was attached so much to Pele in the New York Cosmos that you know when Pele was already older when he got over here. Granted, right. he's a great player, but when he retired. Um, financially and viewer-wise, they they just couldn't keep up. And some of the salaries that they were getting for these players who were coming over, it wasn't just Pele. Like, George Best was over here, and a couple um, Franz Breckenbauer played. These are all really well-known soccer players. Gerd Muller played a little bit over here. Um, MLS wanted to get away from that to avoid those pitfalls because – you know, as those pl- being so reliant on those 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 names uh, wasn't a sustainable model for them. So now we've got you know a more stable league. It's I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, except it's going to continue to grow. It's not going to go. I don't expect that it'll go defunct like a real well, football. Before we run out of time, uh, 
I know we talk about the Ravens, and Duck will be on a little bit later. He uh, he uh, goes to he he lives and dies with the with the Ravens, so we'll talk about them. Uh, the Washington Football Club, which is still waiting for its nickname, uh, is continuing to struggle. Uh, the Capitals, uh, give us a little bit of a rundown on where we are. Well, the Capitals continue to do capital things. They're picking up points. Uh, they're at or near the top of the Eastern Conference. Uh, they took a bad overtime loss that they're a little bit upset about uh, last week, but they're continuing to to be the Capitals, and we expect, uh, you know, when the weather gets colder after Valentine's Day, which is when it really gets starts to matter in hockey, that they'll be there thereabouts. The Washington Bullets have surprisingly gotten off to a really solid start, and they're kind of the talk of the town right now because there's not only are they successful, but it's a bit of a surprise. Meanwhile, the football team dropped another rough one in Denver, uh, 17-10, they had multiple opportunities to win, and I think right now everybody's just kind of conceding that this season is going to be a bust. Uh, Taylor Heineke is not the quarterback of the future. He may be a good backup, but there's a lot of clamoring to see Kyle Allen come in. You know, we've seen enough te- uh, Taylor Heineke. Uh, there was a lot of um, noise being made about potentially trading somebody like Chase Young. People have not been impressed with him uh, this season. And even Ron Rivera is starting to take a little bit of heat. I don't think enough that he would be at risk for losing his job, but he's definitely taking some heat from the fans and the people on um, the radio around here who have just been, you know, this was a season when a lot was expected and not much has been delivered. Roger? Yeah, any uh, local uh, information has surfaced about the investigation uh, of the Washington football team, Mike? Um, Nothing really. You know, they're launching a federal investigation into both. There's the ongoing federal investigation of the trainer, and there appears to be a federal investigation of the workplace, which is related to the, the fine and the letter and the release of all those emails. So we may be hearing some more about that sometime soon. So, again, most of the chatter is about, you know, what we're going to hear and who might be caught up in that when the news breaks, if it does. Mike, nice to uh, see the Washington Basketball Club getting back into a little bit of uh, a positive yeah, stance because they've gone a long time now without really being a factor. Yeah, and they're being coached by Wes Unsell Jr. So right. um, he's getting his first uh, chance to be a head coach in the NBA. And they're off to their best start since Wes Unsell Sr. was uh, on the Yeah, team. great center. And he was and the one that still... carried them all the way, too. I'll tell you, he was, uh, you know, for a center that wasn't, people don't realize, he had great girth, but he wasn't big. And uh, he really had a control the lane and underneath the basket, and he did exactly that. Is he still yeah. uh, involved with the team at all, Mike? Senior? Uh, he passed. Oh, he did pass. He yeah. Okay. He, he, he was, was I'll say, he was for, a terrific player. Yeah, he was the GM for a number of years, and he stepped down, and I believe he passed last year. Okay, sorry to hear that. He was a tremendous player. 
Yeah. Yeah. But as I say, the, the Washington folks had to be because really it was Georgetown and nothing. Uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what kind of a club Georgetown is going to have this year. They, they sort well, they of won, improved a little bit last uh, year, but I would assume that they, they got the some good recruits, and they year. said they did. It should be interesting to see what uh, happens there. Yeah, they won the Big East tournament last year, and Patrick Ewing really needed that one uh, at Georgetown because there were a lot of questions asked about what he was able to do. So he took right. a good run, and they're going to look to – they got some um, recruits, and they're going to look to move forward and be competitive. I don't think a lot of people have them over uh, Villanova and the traditional the quote-unquote traditional powers in the new Big East, but they should be a much more fun team to watch this year than they have uh, throughout some of Patrick's time. Um, tenure down here where they've kind of struggled. You know, when you talk about the uh, the new Big East, which really was the original Big East, but now it's changing. You got Connecticut back in. Who's to say that the Big East won't wind up being the the uh, the old new Big East? I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. I don't think that those, the uh, Catholic schools that make up the the, the, the uh Majority of it are going to allow that to happen. Remember, it's still not a football conference, and a lot of people want that. So um, that was the whole thing when it broke up. Everybody wanted, uh, all of a sudden, want to get in on the football pattern. All of a sudden, Connecticut, uh, you know, when they made their jump, first of all, they were way out of the water going into the ACC to begin with. But uh, at the same time, uh, the expense, the school is losing so much money now. Uh, Connecticut's losing money. Rutgers is losing money. So many schools are losing money trying to make themselves a football power, whereas basketball, you still have a chance to come up on the black side. Yeah. Well, that's true. And you look at it, it's much easier to be a successful basketball team. You can be a smaller team. Look at Absolutely. I think their enrollment is like 16,000, but they're perennially considered to be amongst the best basketball teams in the country, and I think the Big East wanted to go back to that model, and they've got those traditional rivalries back. It's more centered on, you know, what was the Big East as you remember it from its origins. You know, well, no one was the only team or only school smart enough to say, we're going to back off. We're not going to be a Division One team. We're not going to try to play Nebraska. We're going to go back and we're going to play a schedule that meets what our demands are and not lose a lot of money in. And they were one of the very first ones to do it. And I think you're going to find more schools following that pattern. Remember, though, um, remember though they did flirt uh, as late as about 10, 15 years ago. They did flirt with jumping, the big, with jumping into football and taking their football program to D1. I think the biggest issue became stadium. They just couldn't find one where they could play. Well, I don't think the school really wanted it. There was, a the, faction, uh, there was a faction within the school that wanted to get back into it uh, more on a national basis, but uh, they were not the ruling body. So uh, you're right yeah. about the stadium. There was no place you couldn't, uh, you couldn't build a stadium there in Philadelphia any bigger than it is now, and they would have had to go outside, you know, maybe to, to uh, move to Delaware or something like that to, to get a stadium bigger, and they weren't going to do that. Yeah, and they no, no, go to the, was the, uh, the the biggest problem was that the Radnor Township 
uh, Board of uh, Commissioners would not allow the um, digging under um, Route 30 or uh, expanding, cutting down the number of lanes on 30 uh, to allow that 100,000-seat stadium. That was one. That was the big thing that uh, stopped them. Yeah, and uh, you know it's like any of the areas out there. Uh, you know, look at the golf front. You know, and and uh, mm. there's there's just not enough room. Uh, there's no parking. There's no roads in and out. It's not accessible. Right. Uh, it would have been a nightmare to try to put a stadium somewhere out there. Oh, it's already a nightmare trying to park and get in and out on basketball days. I couldn't imagine what it would look like if they had built that stadium up beyond. I think it seats like 6,000 right now. If they had tried to make that in 2025, I couldn't imagine what that would have looked like. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, what do you guys think about uh, uh, Temple's future? You know, they're having a bad year again in football. And, uh, you know, who knows what they're going to do in basketball. I see in the preseason ranking. Dawn Staley at South Carolina's number one. Connecticut's number two. But they don't. They do much. Well, they've done much better in men's than they have in women's uh, after Dawn left. And uh, what do you think, uh, Don? You you talk to Chet. Uh, what do you think's going to happen with Temple football? Well, I did talk to Chet just a couple a couple of days ago when he was at the game on Saturday where they got demolished and. Uh, uh, you know, it, it was, it's a figment of somebody's imagination to think that they're going to build a stadium uh, just off the campus downtown in, in Philadelphia. That's not going to happen. First of all, the city no. doesn't have the money. The state doesn't have the money. Nobody has the money. Temple doesn't have the money. And Chet said that, uh, you know, with the way they're going now, rule across front and back, and it became a, a momentary big plus. But uh, Chet said that he does not think the football program can survive. Uh, the only way they're going to make any money to even try to break even is by playing schools they don't have a chance to to uh, to beat. Like they 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 still have a, a two and one I think with Penn State a couple of years down the road, uh, a couple of schools like that. And when we were doing the games, we go to Alabama, we go to Georgia, and they get you know five hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand to play those games, which uh, gave them at least a little money to to cover expenses. But now. Uh, the way those conference has set up, I mean, who's going to go to, to uh, the link to see Memphis or to see uh, Western Kentucky or, uh, you know, it, it's not going to happen. No, well, you know, it's interesting. It, uh, it's always uh, support of the uh, alumni. And uh, at Georgia, they did a big addition uh, for the uh, uh, football team, you know, as far as uh, training facilities. And it didn't right. cost the, the uh, university to stay in anything because you've got the uh, well-heeled alumni and, and former football players that uh, put in the bill. Yeah, you, know, you, you know, Roger, that, that when Lee, Dr. Lee, of course, was there as president, he was, you know, he was a staunch believer in football. And he built yeah. all those facilities. You know, they, they spent a lot of money off campus building facilities for the football team. And as I say, they got it. They got a real shot in the arm when Rule came in and took them from nowhere to a bowl game. But that that's not going to happen now. I mean, the, the conference no. that they're playing in, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what they can do basketball-wise. You know, whether Aaron's going to be able to recruit well enough to uh, be competitive. The Leah Center was filled every game when we were there. 
now, yeah. I mean, these schools, they're not going to be able to draw. It's going to be very tough. Yeah, look at Cincinnati uh, dominates the uh, league, the conference. Right, and they're gone. Football. Yeah, they're gone. They're going to go to bigger, greener pastures. That's right. Everybody, that's, uh, the, the, the conference is taking in, what, two or three new schools. And I'm not trying to minimize that, uh, you know, these aren't good, good schools, good institutions, and so forth. But they're not going to draw fans in Philadelphia to come see a football game. It's just not going to happen. Amen. Mike, what I do mean, you Temple think? Couldn't, Temple couldn't draw when they, had, when they first went in the Big East. And you'd have Syracuse come in. You'd say, oh, my God, Syracuse, a national school. And uh, they haven't had a great year the last few years or 10 years or whatever. But, you know, they were a national program. And you could draw flies. I mean, it, it right. just won't happen. I always tell the story of the time that I went to the Temple football game and the stadium was so empty that the the, uh, offensive line coach for the opponent uh, yelled a line adjustment from the press box and the guy on the field heard it and made it. So (laughs) Temple has always been a basketball school, I think. You know, when you think, and that's a lot of John, John Chaney's work, right? And I think of Temple, I think, and I think even with the alumni that I talk to, they think first basketball. You know, football's not exactly a, no, you're exactly a big right. passion. So you're going to struggle to have the donors get invested. And, it, and, and yeah, have but that Mike, Aaron's going to have a difficult time. He took out what, this will be his third year. I think he's, I think, I think it's his third. I don't think it's the fourth. I think it's third. And mm-hmm. the recruiting just hasn't been there. Uh, all the travel, all the expenses, uh, not being able to win. Uh, I think the, the basketball program is going to take a big hit, too, unless they can come together and, and find out how to get the recruiters, uh, how to get the uh, – Aaron's got to have people on the staff that are out. You would think Philadelphia would be a hotbed of bringing people in, but it hasn't been. And uh, so a lot it, of the guys from Philadelphia end up leaving and going other places. And I that's think right. That's you know, that's we exactly see that right. down here with Maryland. You know, Jay has done a great job of recruiting from Maryland, particularly from the prep schools in the areas that I live in, you know, the Bullis, the Dematas, and bringing them up to uh, Villanova. And all the coaches that have been here at Maryland have really struggled to keep these guys home. Um, Aaron is going to have to do a little bit of what Patrick did, what um, Chris Mullins tried to do at St. John's, which is go in and sell these kids on staying home. Yeah, but even he wasn't successful, Mike. I mean, Mullins did a a fair job. The coach they have now has just gotten two players to move in. Uh, It looks like this year they're going to be a real force in the Big East this year. He's yeah, and it, 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 it does. And I think, though, that when you consider after Mike Jarvis left just where St. John's was, you're right, he did a fair job. But, you know, he, he at least got him out of the doldrums and made That's the, right. Uh, That's right. The, the I mean, they've, been waiting, they they wait, they've been waiting for Luke Horn a second to come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's going to happen. <laughs> you know, just like okay, fellas, so right. Thank you very much. Back. This segment is coming to an end, uh, as always. We jumped around one sport to another. Always a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Mike. Have All a great right. I'll week, talk to you Mike. gentlemen next week. Take, Take care. care. Have a great week. Waiting in the wings. Doug is ready to go. Doug Hamilton, our resident PGA <laughs> pro.
and I will say anything about the Ravens until he tells me. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I I feel like you are you are coachable, Don. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I was I've been waiting to ask this because it has nothing to do with the Ravens. But can you believe that Rodgers didn't have his shots? They've been pro bowling this is the biggest game of the weekend, and it doesn't look like Rodgers is going to be able to play because he's got the virus. All right. Well, um, you know that touches a different nerve. Um, only because I have Aaron Rodgers as my starting quarterback at fantasy football, and I'm I'm pretty pissed off about that. Only because you know it, it's it's certainly a detriment to you know to winning a fantasy football game, especially when you don't have another quarterback on your roster and you have to pick up who knows. I might right. start Mike White this week from the Jets for Pete's sakes. Um, but anyway, look at the end of the day, I, I said this. You know, I was having this conversation earlier. You know, when you when you get immunized, when you get your COVID shots, number one, number two, and maybe you got your booster, well, you know, newsflash, it's not going to prevent you from getting COVID, okay? It's it's going to diminish your chances of getting COVID, COVID. Correct. and if Correct. you were to get it, if you were to get it, okay, it, it's going to likely reduce the effects that it's going to have on your body. Correct. Right? So we know this information. Now, right. you know, Aaron Rodgers not getting the shot. Okay, is it is it better or worse, okay, that he has COVID, that he either got the shot or didn't get the shot? I think that's irrelevant, right? The fact that he has it doesn't matter whether he got immunized or not because there was a chance he was going to get it anyway. I think what the hubbub is is the fact that he said that he was immunized and he's not. So, I mean, I don't know. Put that into whatever bucket you want to. Does it really matter? Well, he probably got it at that Halloween it? costume party he went to. <laughs> That's probably where he got it. That's probably where he got the Covis. He probably mm-hmm. got it from Devontae Adams for Pete's sakes. I mean, they, you know, I mean, there was a handful more of, of you know, AJ Green was on the COVID list today, and Saquon Barkley was on the COVID list today, and it's going to continue. You know, I mean, it's so you know, we're not yeah, out of the responsibility of your teammates, the responsibility of your job. Uh, I mean, a leadership, leadership, le- yeah, well, leadership. leadership. I mean, I, I. I I mean, I can't imagine all these school teachers, you know, refusing to get uh, thousands and thousands. New York can't go to work because they didn't get their shots. They won't let them teach. I don't. Right. I just can't understand this. Well, listen, I had, you know, I told Frank this, you know, when he patched me in, um, what, two weeks ago or whatever, but a, a guy that works for me was vaccinated twice. His wife was vaccinated twice. She got COVID. He got it from her. So he came to work, and, you know, I, I spent um, – I actually sat in a golf cart with the, with the guy, and we only played like one or two holes, and then he had to go. But, um, you know, so, I mean, I, I was <laughs> front and center. I mean, you know, so he, he, he calls me uh, – this was a Saturday. He calls me on Monday and said, you know, my wife has COVID, and, and now I have to get tested and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I just sat in a golf cart with you. Right. So, I mean, he obviously didn't know, but I'm just saying, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, I mean, you talk about masks and social distancing and washing your hands and all these different things. Well, I mean, pe- people are going to go places. They're going to do things. They're, go- they're going to get infected, and they're not going to know it because, I mean, anymore, like if, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you have the sniffles, what's the first thing you think in your mind? Should I go get tested? No, it's a common cold. I mean, they got a star you know I mean? player who can only play games on the road. Can't can't play at the Barkley in New York. 
because he, right. he won't get the shots. And here's a guy making well, millions and millions of dollars, and yet he's not willing to protect his teammates and get well, the shots. I agree with this. That doesn't guarantee he will get it, but it does right. guarantee that you will get it as severely as you would if you didn't get the shots. Well, there's two, there's two schools of thought here. You know, there's, there's one – well, there's three, actually. Three. The first is compliance. Okay, like you said, I, I want to do my solid for myself, my family, my teammates, my coworkers, my community, my whatever. I'm going to get vaccinated, and if that means my arm hurts and that means I have to sleep, you know, a day the second time or, or whatever the case may be, I'm going to do it because if I get sick, whether I'm immunocompromised or whether I'm of elderly status or whatever the case may be, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to do what I should do for me and for everybody else. Number two, I'm going to turn into a chimpanzee. If I get the shot, which is ridiculous, okay. Or number three, I'm not going to get the shot because they say I have to. You know, and, and I know, and I know people of the, you know, the other two. I and I have friends that that say I'm not getting the shot. You know, because they tell me that I have to. I and do I'm not too. Gonna, uh, I'm not, I know what you mean. It's, it's, yeah, you're not it's alone. Ridiculous. I agree and it's ridiculous. Yeah. And 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 in fact, one of the friends that I speak of. I played golf with twice and didn't know that he wasn't um, immunized and found out from a different friend that says, okay, well, he's not going to get the shot because the government or whatever stipulates that, that they should. So he's taking a stand to say, you know what, I'm not going to take the spoon that they're feeding me because I, I need to make my own choice and I choose not to. Only out of spite for the fact that they said I should. Yet he's compromising other people that he's around, and no one exactly. knows Because I can tell you this. If I said to myself, I'm taking a hard, fast stand that says I'm not going to get the shot because, you know, in, in 12 years I feel like I'm going to turn into a zombie. Okay, if that was my standpoint, then every person I came in contact with, I think I would probably have to let them know, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not vaccinated. Maybe, maybe you should do your own thing. Well, Whatever. I just wanted to touch on that before we get into Mr. Yeah. Harbaugh's company. Uh, his brother had a tough weekend this weekend. I saw the Michigan game, and uh, yeah. that was quite a game. And, and uh, uh, a little disappointed, to be honest with you. I, I really didn't <laughs> think that the Michigan was going to lose that game, but they did. No. Uh, how about uh, how about uh, Mr. Harbaugh at Baltimore? What do we look forward to this yeah. weekend? Well, I mean, he's he's a media darling, you know. He he can do a whole press conference and and really not say anything, um, you know, which is great. I think he's he's mastered with, you know, quite a bit of personality, um, you know, the art of talking and not really saying anything. Um, you know, they had a bye week this week. I think that they obviously had some time to um, rest, relax, get healthy. Um, you know, I'm sure the coaches were were hard at work on on trying to make some adaptations to, you know, schemes. Um, you know, their defense has been pretty bad uh, the last Especially couple of Especially after Cincinnati been... lost this weekend. <laughs> really, wow, yeah. that was another big surprise this weekend, Cincinnati yeah. losing. I couldn't believe that. I, I watched I watched um, a decent, you know, portion of that game, uh, not having a dog in the fight, but, um, you know, just curious to see because, you know, at various points in times, I'm like, Cincinnati should probably be you know, winning this game and, and, and putting them away. But the Jets just really hung in there and, and um, 
and were scrappy. And that that quarterback they started, Mike White, was was on point. He had a really good football game. He um, was able to distribute yards. Yeah, I mean that uh, rookie running back uh, Michael Carter, um, you know, produced. He had you know just as many yards passing as receive or uh, receiving as rushing, and and um, defense came up with a big turnover there at the end that um, stuck out on ice. So they, I, you know, whatever. I mean, the NFL is a is a week to week league where anything can happen, and um, as usually you know does. we've well we we've seen. Um, the course of action, uh, you know, from from a lot of these different games that are that are predicated on individuals that get hurt. You know, we have these dum dums that, you know, get COVID that don't get vaccinated. I mean, you know, you look at the, you know, the Raiders are just they're a hot mess with with all the stuff with Gruden and, you know, now this unfortunate circumstances with with Henry Ruggs. Um, you have right. the Browns who are are front and center with with Odell Beckham being sent home today because no one. You know, no one wants. No, they couldn't trade him because no one wanted him. His contract doesn't suggest that anybody would be willing to take that. No one wants to put him in, the, in their locker room. The Browns don't even want him because he's he's a detriment to you know the team concept. So they just said go home. You know, so I mean, I give them you know, credit have, for doing it. Roger, you're up. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. Well, we we knew that about Beckham a long time ago. Yeah. So I mean that that's old news when you think about it. The Browns took a chance. When we, what did we know with him, uh, when he, about him when he was with the uh, Giants? Well, that's you know, what I had the years. same exact conversation, Roger. I said, you know what, if, if you're going to be, excuse the expression, the expression, but if you're going to be an a-hole, at least be a really good football player, right? So the Giants had a really good football player who acted that way, and they said, you know what, we're going to tolerate that because he produces on the field. So then, you know, they they get to the point where maybe they start to teeter and, and he goes to the Browns and I don't remember what that transaction was, what they traded him, whatever, and he gets hurt. So now he's not the same player. So now he can't produce on the field, but he's still the same personality in the locker room. And then the yeah, Browns. Yeah, but he was hurt with the Giants he, the same way. But but he was really he was a really good football player in in, in New York. I mean, he he was electric with the football. If you could get it to him on a slant or. Those one-handed catches. He, I mean, he he was worth. He was must see TV to have in, in the lineup, and so they they put up with that. And there's how many teams can you say in the NBA or the the uh, the NFL or any other professional sporting league that has somebody that they're a really good player, but they're just not the right fit for the locker room. You, you have to walk that fine line that says when when does that balance shift, you know, and 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 how long can I put up with this? Because you, you can name them. I mean. The 76 Roger, we gotta we gotta feel a little badly for Cleveland because uh, their coaches in Philadelphia grew up born and raised in Philadelphia, and yeah. uh, he, he had to make that decision. He didn't he didn't hesitate. He made it. Right. Well, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know the the thing is, I was just thinking about the Deshaun Jackson. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Eagles brought him back. And then he was hurt almost all of last year. He goes to the Rams and look at the way he's producing. Okay? I mean, I think there's guys out there that they Mm. produce if they feel it's a really good team, they're going to get a lot of notoriety. But then they'll dog it if if they think the team isn't that good, which I think is what it was last year. And then, and that, the, the real story is uh, uh, about stuff like this is Ben Simmons uh, with mm-hmm. his contract, and he won't even yeah. let the 76ers uh, talk to uh, 
his psychiatrist, quote unquote, whatever, whoever right. it is. I, I mean, the NBA is in so much uh, <laughs> uh, trouble as far internally. I mean, they've got to make some changes, uh, one way yeah. or the other. Right. Well, it's pretty hard, Roger, yeah. to make changes when you've got guys making this kind of money and this is the game they want to play. I mean, you put well, 53 here, point shots up in a game, uh, you know, I mean, it's not basketball. They just run up and down the court and throw up a three-pointer. I'm not saying they're not great athletes. They are great athletes, but it's not a game. I mean, it's it's not right. the game that we – let me put it this way. It's not the game that we do as basketball. We talked about the Bullets a little bit ago. If you went down to see Wesley Unsell and the Bullets when I was doing the 76ers, you knew you were going to have a great game. I mean, you were going to have right. a great game. You can't right. say that now. No, or you're no. going to go to see Michael I mean, Jordan, okay? Right. Uh, play. I went to see him play the Nets, play the Sixers. But though Al Morgani, uh, Don, and uh, Doug uh, and Frank, of course, knows Al Morgani, uh, hockey uh, expert, been on the network. Uh, he's on the morning show on WIP. He had a good point today, and I never really thought about this, and I don't know if it's been done yet or not. But to give cap relief, to the 76ers so that they can at least do something uh, to field a decent team uh, because mm-hmm. of this situation with Simmons, with a guy that refuses to pay or to play right. and just wants to get paid. Right. And we'll get paid. Right. And we'll get paid. Yeah, I give Doc credit. He said he said him, he did the same thing we talked about. Uh, you know, he set him off the court. Go home. He can't. He yeah. can't handle him. Well, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, do do you really want that person as your teammate when when that's how they act? I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't. I mean, you know, I I want to, you know, lace up my bootstraps with people who, you know, who want to grind and who want to play, and I can depend on and, and and all those sorts of things as a teammate. I mean, you're you're in a locker but room. But Doug, you're always going to have the guys that are going to take them. You know, it was always the Raiders for years and years here. They'd take yeah. every guy that was a troublemaker. Uh, I mean, even well, Reed out, uh, even Reed in Kansas City has taken a few up now. Uh, he's having a tough time keeping the momentum going in Kansas City. He's he's taking a few really questionable guys. Yeah, but Don, I think we, that has you know, a lot that's to a do good with point, you. Don. I wanted to ask Doug. I meant to ask him uh, earlier. Uh, what do you let's talk about the uh, the Ravens, okay, and yeah, the Chiefs? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. evidently these defenses have now adjusted uh, to the Chiefs. Yeah. Okay, do you think that, that this will happen to the Ravens too? Um, you know, I think that uh, obviously Baltimore having a lot of the injuries that they've had, obviously in their backfield and. Um, you know, their inability to, to run the football. But, I mean, I, I think we've seen, you know, Lamar Jackson be able to stand in the pocket and deliver the football. So, you know, the NFL is about, you know, the, the evolution of the game and the adaptations that you can make uh, sometimes on the fly. So, you know, if the Ravens' offense was, was predicated on running the football and, and zone scheme blocking and, and you know, um, you know the, the, the read option type stuff, and, and, and teams are going to be like, okay, well, we're going to take that away from you. And then the Ravens come back and say, great, now we're going to stand back in the pocket, and I'm going to deliver the football to, to Mark Andrews and my wide receivers, and now you can cover my guys. So, you know, um, you know if, you, if you keep on doing, you know, what you, what you always did, you're going to get what you always got. 
you know, so that the Chiefs, you know, can't really run the football. Their defense isn't very good, and they're trying to still use the same blueprint that they've used over the last couple of years that was very successful that people are are now changing to. So they need to make a change. And, and well, I don't know what that is. Well, that's the thing that me because it was proven during the Super Bowl that they could yeah. not run the football and that their defense Correct. was very questionable. But, uh, well, and, so, I mean, this, the, is, to, this is just carried over for another year. This is something that just started. Yeah. Well, but to the benefit of the Ravens, I mean, they have a dual-threat quarterback. You know, he right. can run the football, and he's also now proven that he can throw the football. So which one do you what, – pick your poison. Which one do you want to take away? You know, and, and if you're going to take away the run, okay, well, we have an aging backfield that we signed off of the street. So we're averaging less than whatever, four yards a carry, which is, you know, we're, it's, it's not good. You know, but if, if we can – you know, hit Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and all these guys downfield and intermediate passes, that, that changes the manner in which we have to call our plays. Um, right. but, but at the end of the day, the, the defense is the one that has to play better. Our secondary is abhorrent right now. Um, you know, our defense ranks, you know, past, way past the middle portion, the median of the, of the NFL. So, you know, we're, we're playing a, a Minnesota Vikings team that if Kirk Cousins gets a chance to stand back there, you know, Jefferson and Thielen are going to have a great day. Um, you know, and, and they also have Dalvin Cook, who's really good. So, you know, it, this should be interesting. Tommy, are you still with us? <laughs> nope. He's going nope. Okay. Well, here, <laughs> no, Go ahead, Roger. My point, my point was <laughs> that uh, they've learned how to defense Patrick Mahomes. And that's mm-hmm. what I was wondering about, whether you feel that Lamar uh, will – face the same scrutiny by defenses I, I i i mean in terms of the resources they devote to him i would say yes but um you know like i said i mean he's a, a patrick mahomes can't scramble and make the plays with his legs that lamar jackson because that's not what he's able to do he just can't do that but i mean if lamar jackson drops back in the in, in you know into the pocket he fakes a handoff and it's a good play action and he comes up and no one's open, well, yeah, he can take off. Patrick Mahomes can't do that. So if you're going to have to dedicate those sorts of resources to spying on, on Lamar Jackson, and then guess what? Now someone's open. So, you know, I mean, defense is – Did you think that he, threw the, he really didn't throw the ball effectively in this last game? You know, you thought, well, yeah. you know, the, the – uh, you know, they've got to win the game, and they did win the game, yeah. but – he didn't. Right. He really did not throw the ball very effectively. They, the big plays that they made were not yeah. necessarily dictated by the quarterback. Well, I mean, he made a really pretty good throw to Marquise Brown in the end zone there for for a long touchdown. But by and large, you know, he he played well enough to keep them in that football game that they usually would win. But their, I mean, their defense they couldn't tackle anybody. They had two two three touchdowns, one, uh, one to Chase and two okay. to the tight end Uzema or whatever his name was that were just complete busted plays. I mean, no one was Hold on, fellas, we're just water. out of time. And, Doug, thank you very, very much. As always, we never got into the golf front, but we'll do that next week. That's all right. Thank you so much. The Tick Tick Talk is going. Frank just told me. Roger, great to be with you Have again. And uh, we'll all get together next week. Yep. All Take yours, care. Frank. Uh, Frank, thank you. You're the best. Keep it all together. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men, police, men and women of police and fire services, when you 
see somebody out there in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. It's very important that they know that, that you have your, your confidence. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives on the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Cowell, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcott, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas uh, uh, Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Sergeant um, James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Deputy Detective Ricky Childress, Detective Randy, Randy Bell, in San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James uh, LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman on Novel Kristen Lakeland PD, Lieutenant, George, Lieutenant Joe Serba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Josh, Patrol Deputy Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Arth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Ogo, Longwood Cape Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10 7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10 10 at the table, oh Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.